and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. Danielle. And I'm Matt Schrackbein. Hey, guys, go check out the Buff Raffle on Mike Mignola's art at Facebook. Last week, for his Say What Wednesday, Craig McKnight added Mike Norton, and this last Wednesday, he added Christopher Mitten. Nice. That is that is huge. That's a scoop, that right? Cool. Yeah. So keep raising money for the raffle. The raffle donations will go towards the V Foundation for Cancer Research, 30% to the COPD Foundation, 20% to the Brain Tumor Association, and 20% to the Alzheimer's Association. Tickets are only $5, so get on it. You might win something amazing. But if you don't, you can also sleep well knowing your donation went to some very worthy causes. And there is original art on the raffle by Mignola, Lawrence Campbell, James Heron, Ryan Sook, Matt Strackbine, <laughs> Ross also, Radke. Ross Radke is on there. Stan Sakai. Stan Sakai. Yeah, you've got to check it out. There's so much great merch that you could win for just $5, and it all goes to a good cause. We're trying to raise as much money as possible. And there's also like those artist editions with a remarked stuff. Yeah, with the Hellboy sketches inside. Those are yeah. beautiful. And there's also the game. Yeah, the Mantic stuff is on there. The Kickstarter version, which is really cool. So yeah, you got to go check that out. Yeah. And if you're feeling generous over the holidays or you want to get away from your family, you know, get on your phone, get in a corner and leave us a review. Say some kind words about us. Follow us on social <laughs> media. Retweet us. Share our posts. Tell your friends about us. If you have a comic-minded family member you haven't seen in a long time, you know, tell them, hey, uh, over Thanksgiving dinner, stop arguing about politics and start talking about the Hellboy Book Club. That's great. Well, it, you'll get back into politics because we'll always be talking about punching Nazis, so... Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Hashtag punch Nazis. <laughs> no listener feedback this week. We're banking some episodes so we can take some time off later for the holidays. But we'll be catching up with our listener feedback on the next episode. This week we're going to be talking about more Lobster Johnson stories. And we're going to start off with Ascent of Lotus. This is a two-issue miniseries published from July to August 2013. Story by Mignola and Arcudi. Art by Sebastian Fumara. So we get to see Sebastian Fumara yeah. do Lobster Johnson. I'm so excited for this. I didn't want to spoil this before now, but this is my favorite lobster artist. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yes. I love this stuff. Sebastian Fumara and him and his brother Max, like, they're really starting to become two of my favorite artists in the Mignolaverse. Oh, yeah. I mean, wow. <laughs> Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters by Clem Robbins, and cover art by Tanchi Zanyich again. I think they talk about that in the sketchbook, but for Kaput Mortem, Zanyich did so many amazing cover layouts that they just said, we're going to use these for a bunch of issues. So a bunch of these issues have his covers because they were just so impressed by the amount of designs that he did. And we'll talk about it more when we get to the sketchbook section. Yeah, this cover is fucking awesome. <laughs> it's really nice. So I love this opening. We just get the lobster running across rooftops in the snow it's just really cool classic superhero noir stuff you know what i mean it's kind of got all those elements in it and he's just running like crazy too they really give like a lot of intensity to this opening we see him leap off the building and below him is this parade going on this event is probably the Lunar New Year and Parade Festival that takes place every year in Manhattan's Chinatown. And Sebastian Fumara does an awesome job just depicting all this, and the colors are just amazing. It really makes this um, really dynamic scene, and 
while they're like dancing with this giant kind of like dragon, there's this crack, crack, crack sound. And so we heard that sound as the lobster was running. So it kind of reveals also, it kind of just adds a lot of atmosphere to the story already. There's one panel here where he's jumping off the roof and the lightning bolts behind him and the moon and all that. I wonder if it was influenced by the Dark Knight Returns cover. Oh, yeah. I think that's just smoke, though. Okay, it's well, smoke, yeah, but it's still, yeah. But, it, but you know what I'm saying. It still kind of evokes that Dark Knight that image, eel. yeah. Yeah. And we see the lobster land, and he's, like, talking to Harry McTell on an earpiece. And so they're like, hey, we found the guy. He's got a green overcoat and blue silk pants. And so the lobster's, like, looking for somebody, right? Harry says, I just wish we could get closer to him on the ground, but this party's too big for that. Once you get a visual, I'll pursue on foot. Boss, you still reading me? And the lobster's like, I read you, Harry. You and Lester head back to the house. I'll meet you there. And they're like, are you sure? And he's like, I'm sure. And so we see that guy that they described in the blue silk pants. He's like totally dead on the ground. Now, was all the crack, crack, crack at the beginning, like gunfire mixed in with fireworks? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That would be, that would be cool. Like, you know, very cinematic again, but audio wise yeah yeah i mean that would be the perfect time to do it too right Mm -hmm. it's just so nice how they kind of thought of all this just like in the last one where the lobster goes to burn the guy the lightning we see the lightning come down we cut to cindy tynan and detective eckert we met both of them in lobster johnson the burning hand and they're talking about that dead guy that we just saw as they talk we learn that these are repeated attacks and all the victims are On Liang couriers. The On Liang Chinese Merchants Association, formerly known as the On Liang Tong, is a Tong society operating out of its territory in Mott Street in New York's Chinatown. And I didn't know what a Tong was, so I looked that up as well. A Tong is a type of organization found among Chinese immigrants living in the United States, Canada, Australia, and the United Kingdom. In Chinese, the word Tong means hall or gathering place. These organizations are described as secret societies or sworn brotherhoods and are often tied to criminal activity. In the 1990s, in most of America's Chinatowns, clearly marked Tong halls could easily be found, many of which had affiliations with Chinese crime gangs. Established in November 1893, the An Liang Tong fought a violent war for control of Chinatown's rackets and business with the Hip Sing Tong. So again, they're incorporating that historical fiction into the stories. And we learn all these couriers have been killed with a small caliber weapon shot in the base of the skull. But who would be crazy enough to steal from a Tong, Eckert says. Even crazier, Eckert says, the Tong's not striking back. No one else has been shot, stabbed, or even gone missing in Chinatown all month. Hell of a mystery. Hell of a story, Cindy says. Thanks, Eckert. And she starts to walk away, so she's, like, getting details for her news article, I assume. But as she starts to walk away, he stops her and he asks her if she wants to get a drink with him. Ah, I was wondering why you called me after more than a year. This access comes with a price, eh? She says. And he's like, no, no price. I just miss you. We had some good times, didn't we, Cindy? And she's like, yeah, we did. Call me. Let's see what happens. And he's like, I'll do that. And so just as she walks away, we see Detective Hansen. We also met him in the burning hand. He works with Eckerd, and he's like, she's not stupid, Jake. Sooner or later, she'll figure out why you're pitching woo again. Yeah, sooner or later, Eckerd says, but maybe not soon enough to save her lobster boyfriend. 
pitch and woo. Pitch and woo, yeah. So I looked that up. Sweet it means, talk. Yeah, it means to court. You had to look yeah. that up. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to get the exact... Uh, I didn't want to say I think this is what it means. So anyway, I looked it, it up. It's almost the same as saying like making a pitch, right? Mm. Like asking her out. Sure. Oh. So, yeah. But, you know... All, Totally unprofessional <laughs> in this setting. <laughs> That's what they did in the 30s, see? Yeah, chauvinist, see? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> we cut over to Mott Street. This must be the leader of the Onleong Tong. We'll learn later that his name is Sai Wing. And he gives a suitcase full of money to Young Liu. And so I guess this guy is the new courier. He's going to try and make the next delivery, but he's not going alone. He's got two big, intimidating bodyguard guys that will accompany him and take the money to the safe house if he's killed. And so he tells him already, like, if you die, these guys are going to continue the mission. This is not our money, Cy Wing says. It is the people's money, and if it doesn't get through, it had better end up at the safe house, or I'll kill you myself. And he throws the suitcase to young Liu. We cut over and we see Eckerd and Hansen, and they're staking out Anderson and Son Automotive. If you remember from The Burning Hand, this is where Harry McTell works. They talk about how Hansen is helping Eckerd on his night off, and all he got was a sandwich and a coffee. I figure this is at least good for a movie and a drink later, he jokes with Eckert, but Eckert tells him to knock it off. All right, Groucho, he says. Stow the act for a second. Time to move. And Groucho is referring to Julius Henry Groucho Marx. He was an American comedian, a master of quick wit. He is widely considered one of America's greatest comedians. He made 13 feature films with his siblings, the Marx Brothers. And so we see the detectives are tracking Cindy. We see her leave the automotive and sun shop. So they know that she was there meeting with Harry McTell. And so as soon as she leaves, they come up to bother him, right? They're like knocking on the door and he's like, we're closed. And then they just hold up the badge. Good evening, detectives. What can I do for you? And so they start asking him all these questions like, is he Anderson and all this kind of stuff? They're just kind of like bothering him. And I, I feel like they're trying to be intimidating they're to him, too. Him. Yeah. And they're like, you've been talking to the newspaper reporter, right? McTell says, more like she's been talking to me. We don't need that smart talk, son. Not one bit of it. See? He calls him son. So <laughs> yeah. we know where this is headed. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Eckerd is really shitty here, like pointing his finger into McTell's chest. He says, what I'd like to know is why the Tribune would come sniffing around a man like you. Damn. As Hansen's looking around, he sees this framed newspaper article that says garage worker rescues DA's sister from Mugger. Eckerd says, so we got a hero here, eh? McTell says, oh, I wouldn't say that. The district attorney does, though. Every time he calls. Damn. <laughs> I love this where he's like, I was about to make you guys some coffee. And they're like, another time. Now they're ready to leave, right? Nice. Because they know that he's being protected. I was like, why are they acting like total dicks? Right, they're yeah. dumb. <laughs> I mean, their whole attitude just seems way out of left field in this particular thing. It's like, what's the point of all this well, shit? Well, it's right. not entirely out of left field. I think well, okay, it's well, probably because they're just total fucking assholes. Well, granted. But I mean, just for this particular part of the story, I'm just like, wait, why is this even going on right they don't suspect he's the lobster do they because they're saying maybe another time harry and then that's in quotes oh, right right and then they're like like maybe we find out who this anderson really is oh yeah that's what they say as they're driving away so either 
they suspect that maybe he's the lobster or they're in you know he's in cahoots with the lobster maybe. exactly because they yeah. mentioned the lobster boyfriend in the last scene that they were talking in yeah we get this strange scene here we see this kind of shadowed woman or we don't even get to see who it really is pushing like this baby cart there's like a we assume it's a baby crying in there and she's like i've never heard it referred to as a baby cart i like that a ba- <laughs> baby carriage oh yeah Lone Wolf and Cub. Isn't that what they call it? Oh, I don't know. I don't I've know. Never, I've just never heard that specific uh, phrase. <laughs> it just struck me as... She's like, there's no need. We've arrived, dearie. Would you like to see? And then so we see them there in front of this building. And she kind of pulls back the blanket for the baby. Now, now, they're there. All better. I like how they... Uh... That she's using a different dialect. You know, it's the, oh, right. It does mention that. It says on the bottom, translated from Kansai dialect. And they're being translated from the Canton dialect. Right. The couriers. Yeah. I found that to be interesting. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because, I mean, most people just think of Chinese. the Chinese language is one language, but it's more. We get this scene of Harry in the car, and he's telling the lobster that he, we're all putting it together now. Cindy got that information from Eckert that they were on Liang Tong couriers. And then she went and told Harry, and now Harry's telling the lobster. Look at that shot of the car, though, in that first panel. Yeah. So cool. It's very nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hauling. And we see the lobster. He says, good work, Harry. Now get down here. I'm going to need your help. And we see that he's watching young Liu and the two bodyguards that he's got with him. They're walking down the street, and young Liu is talking about how they should have taken a car. But one of the bodyguards says... You know, he mentions that, I guess, that they've been blowing up cars. He's like, do you prefer explosions? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Then all of a sudden, the action kicks in. The one big guy, bodyguard, like, he gets, like, arrowed through the mouth or something like that. It has, like, the sound effect that it makes me feel like it's an arrow or, like, a blow dart or something, right? I thought it was a bullet, but... You know, or or they they said a small caliber gun. So I guess because it's got a different sound effect than the regular gun. Yeah, it's not all blam, blam, blam. Exactly. And so you can kind of tell like who's shooting in the different scenes because whoever this hidden person is that's shooting the bodyguards is using some kind of small, I guess that small caliber weapon. So they start saying like, where is it? Where is it coming from? And they're like there. They they think that the lobster is shooting at them because now they see that he's trailing them. They start shooting at the lobster, and then the one bodyguard, he tells young Liu and the big guy to run for it. Go before you're hit, he says, and so he, like, takes it and just keeps blasting into the dark. And he just keeps shooting and shooting, and he's like, I see you, imperialist dog, talking to the lobster. And then in this bottom panel, like, it says, click. So he's, like, run out of bullets. He totally, like, emptied his gun. So that's when the lobster jumps out and starts shooting at him. And this Look panel is yes. yeah, it's so great. It's amazing, yeah, amazing work by Sebastian Fumara here. Well, he doesn't start shooting at the guy; he starts shooting at the guy that's shooting at the guy. Right, exactly. But I like how he waits till that guy runs yeah. out of bullets to jump out because he knows that he's getting shot at too. And the lobster even tells him, "Get down, take cover," but that guy gets totally shot. The lobster takes a couple right in the chest. Oh, yeah, we do see that. Yeah, the lobster gets totally shot, too. Lobster Johnson approaches the bodyguard who's now dying after getting shot so many times. And he's like, oh, you came to me after I was shot. Apologies. I thought 
And the lobster says, the others are still in danger. Where'd they go? As he's dying, he says, safe house. Madam, I would like to own this page. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. See how he's yeah. still got his arm stretched out, like, in case somebody walks up on oh, him? Oh, yeah, yeah. He could just start shooting. Oh, it's so good. And then and then you see it from the dying person's perspective, and then you see it from the lobster's perspective. Yeah, I really like that. point of view. Yeah, that is so a great good. page. Just then, McTell shows up in the car. And oh, so the last thing that the guy, the dying guy said was, Madam Hefi. And so the lobster tells McTell this information. He gets in the car and they start driving that way. And I like this one panel where we see the car like swerving into the next lane <laughs> to like, yeah. we see the lobster open up his coat. He's got like a bulletproof vest or something like that there. And Harry's like, and you said you didn't want to wear that thing. Bigger slugs, it wouldn't have mattered. So he just totally ignores that. Yeah, I like, like that. Wait, like, but nobody can matter. call you on. Yeah. <laughs> nobody can call the lobster on any of his stuff, right? <laughs> right. Like he would be dead. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> they pull up to Madame Hefi's, but it's all on fire. There's this like huge inferno of fire and smoke coming out of all the windows. Jesus, this is their safe house, McTell says, and then the lobster. He can hear people calling for help. And so people are calling for help in, um, I think this is Chinese. Mm -hmm. It is. I translated it. <laughs> and the lobster runs up to this window and he just like crashes through. Here's another page that I would love to own, right? As oh, he's yeah. crashing through this oh, window. Yeah. I just love that posture, uh, his position and everything. It's just really well done. Um, I love how it's all white too in the background. It just really lends a lot to that motion of him crashing through the window. As he goes into the burning house, he sees the courier bag with all the money in it. It's on fire, too. And then he sees all the people that are calling for help. We have a really creepy reveal, right? And so yeah. here we see this person in this robe and all those no-mass monkeys. We haven't seen those creepy Fuck things no. in a long time, right? That's if they were hunting Daimyo's ass. Exactly. I uh, remember Landis Pope had one. Yeah, oh, he yeah. had one in the jar. Case. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, thanks for pointing that out. But I also want to point out, we keep getting reminded of that file folder that Johan found in the dead. Do you remember yeah. that? In that file folder, we saw the black flame on the wing of the plane. Right. We didn't know who he was yet. We saw the sledgehammer armor, and we didn't know mm. what that was yet. We saw Memnon Saw before we knew who he oh, was. Fuck. And we saw a person that looked like this as one of these no-mass monkeys, and it said Crimson Lotus. Yeah, I was going to say, like, isn't that photo that's showing up at the end, isn't that the one? Yeah, that, that, that we see in Johan's file. I I don't know if that's the same one because in the one in Johan's file, there's one of those no mass monkeys also in the photo. Oh, uh, okay. I think we saw the was the guy's name the Steel Hawk in that too. Oh, we, the Steel Hawk was also in there. Yeah, before we knew who he was. Yeah, so I like how we came coming <laughs> back to all those things, right? She said that's good world building yeah, really. right there, man. It's a well-rounded universe. I mean, didn't we see that file like a year ago on the podcast? <laughs> yes, really. In real time. She says, I've been watching you. And she's just sitting there, totally calm, while the whole house is burning, too. That lends another, like, creepy element to this whole thing. It's like that this is fine meme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we cut outside, Madam Hefies, and we see McTell and Lester out there. And they're like, oh, the lobster's been in there a long time. What are we going to do? So I love this on this third panel behind them. There's just like this little like black wisp 
Like, yeah. there's yeah. something creepy jumping back there. You know what I mean? It just makes it so cinematic because that's what it would be in a movie. You would just see, like, some thing yeah. flash by really quick and you'd be like, what the hell is that? And that's exactly what Harry says. What the hell is that? They turn around and uh, <laughs> we cut back to the lobster again. He's, like, watching me. For some days, the Crimson Lotus says, you look like trouble. I know the kind of trouble you mean, woman, the lobster says. Justice. And as he pulls his gun on her, then he gets shot. Right, so we haven't really seen that when he says justice or he's got his, uh, he's ready to exact his shot vengeance. Shot right in the fucking yeah, forearm. Yeah, he gets shot too. right in the arm too, and we see it's one of those no mass monkeys shot him. So these things can fire guns and all this stuff, and the way that Fumara draws them is so creepy and no, so it just lends uh, so much more detail to the Guy Davis design. Doesn't that remind you of Box of Evil? It's a monkey. Yeah. He's got a gun. <laughs> yeah, I thought that. <laughs> I actually really did think of that. That's a great parallel. I love that. And the lobster says, Vermin, I'm not done yet. He reaches back for his gun, but then all these monkeys start attacking him, and they're all screeching and everything. So, you are not so much trouble after all, are you? The Crimson Lotus says. I barely had to lift a finger. And in this last panel, I think this is so interesting. Like, you can see the lobster's eye through his goggle. I don't know that we've ever seen that before. Yeah, that might be. Oh. I mean, and he gosh. and he looks afraid. Like this is one of the only times that I think we've seen this kind of emotion from the lobster, which I think is just um, says a lot about the artist too to include that little element. I really enjoy that. I was like, that's what his eye looks like. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> He's a man. He's human. That's right. So just then, as the lobster is in this kind of fearful moment, the big guy bodyguard, the one that was shot through the mouth. He like breaks through into the house. And so I guess this is what, is this what McTell and Lester saw? That they were like, what the hell is that? No, that's not what it was, right? I, w- I assumed he was yeah. already in the safe house because he was one of the guys try- tasked with bringing the money back there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. They went while that one guy stayed behind. You're absolutely right. And so. I think the monkey with the shotgun is what. Exactly, ran right. Them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the big guy, the bodyguard. He grabs the lobster and, like, breaks through the wall. So dynamic. Just a lot of motion, kinetic energy in that panel. Now, is he rescuing the lobster? Exactly, right? So, uh, McTell and Lester, they think that he's attacking the lobster or something. They get ready to shoot him. But then the lobster's like, no, he just saved my life. We need to help him. And so the guy um, that got shot, the bodyguard, he says, take me to Psy Wing. Now we're back with, with them at their hideout, or at their tong, and they have their own medic there who's working on the lobster, I guess, from where he got shot by the monkey. And he tells the lobster that he's lucky that he, they didn't shatter his ulna. You won't need a cast, but immobilize the arm for four weeks, or maybe your luck doesn't hold. Justice will not wait, the lobster says. <laughs> I just love that response because he's all like, you know, hey, dude, you need to take your arm easy. And he's like, justice doesn't wait for my arm, motherfucker. Psy Wing comes to check on them and he thanks the lobster for bringing back the bodyguard. I guess his name is Guanjia. He's thanking them for bringing back the bodyguard, but they say that they're also thanking the bodyguard because he saved the lobster. The lobster says, we know about the money, about the couriers and the assassins. We need to know the rest. And Sai Wing, he tells them about the Muck Den incident or the Manchurian incident. 
This was an event staged by Japanese military personnel as a pretext for the Japanese invasion in 1931 of northeastern China, also known as Manchuria. In 1931, the Japanese military detonated a small quantity of dynamite close to a railway line owned by Japan's South Manchurian Railway near Mukden. The explosion was so weak that it failed to destroy the track, and the train passed over it minutes later. The Imperial Japanese Army accused Chinese dissidents of the act and responded with a full invasion that led to the occupation of Manchuria, in which Japan established its puppet state of Manchukuo six months later. The deception was soon exposed by the Leiden Report of 1932, leading Japan to diplomatic isolation and its March 1933 withdrawal from the League of Nations. He was involved with that, right? And he tells them a little bit about it. While the Japanese created this diversion to justify the invasion of Manchuria, like nobody really looked at that, right? It wasn't until years later they withdrew them from the League of Nations. They were like, I guess that's it. We did it. But that puppet state had already been established. Here in New York, the relatives and friends of our Manchu brothers have fared well. We've earned our share of the American dream, and those dollars would be our warriors in the fight against Imperial Japan. And of course, the An Liang uses banks, because one of them said earlier, why don't you use banks, right, to hold your money? We have invested a great deal here, even in these difficult times, but getting money over to our brothers and sisters in Manchuria has encountered impediments. Wire transfers have disappeared completely, no records of delivery, no explanations, no apologies, simply gone. And so, like one of them said, do you prefer explosions to walking? And so here we see, like, cars were being exploded also. So it's like, no matter how they try and get the money back to Manchuria, it just keeps getting interrupted every single time. I like the flashback art style. Oh, yeah, 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 that's really nice. Um, it reminds me of Frank Miller's Ronin. Okay, yeah. Okay. From 1983, I think. It kind of has this grayscale quality, a lot of use of all these like kind of hash marks or how would you describe that, Matt? Exactly. Yeah, hashes and dashes and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um almost like a pointillism. Right. Yeah, it's suggesting a shape. Right. That's not, right. That, yeah. There's a word for that. It almost seems like it would be quicker to draw that way because you don't have to draw the entire object. But I think it's more difficult. It because, seems, yeah. It seems like yeah, it would be hard to pull off. Yeah, it's a really distinct style. Anyway, Frank Miller Ronan, very great book. If you guys haven't read that, check it out. Oh, okay. That's one of your. We've been incorporating that into the show every now and again when um, you remember good books yes. that you want to pass on. Yeah, Frank Miller's Ronan. That's one that you out. should read. Yeah. And so Cy Wing, he tells them that the Japanese sent an assassin here, a highly skilled one. Somehow, no matter how careful we are, the route in the courier is always identified. It is rumored that the Crimson Lotus herself has come, a spy and a woo, and that means witch. Impossible to deceive or to kill. That's the woman in the brothel, the lobster says, the one with the monkeys. You saw her, Cywing asks, and the monkeys. That would never have happened if she thought you would live. McTow says it doesn't sound like she's got much to be afraid of. She's a spy, Harry the Lobster says, on American soil. The Japanese can't afford to have the U.S. government know she's here or that she even exists. You say impossible to kill, the Lobster asks. Maybe. But justice has many doors. 
we cut to Milo's cafe and we see Eckert and Cindy Tynan are having their date, right? He wanted her to have a drink with him in the earlier scene. And he's like, this is so nice. I'm glad you came out. And he starts talking about how they found two more Chinese couriers dead. This is from the the events that we saw the previous night with the lobster. So he's like, oh, I saw this guy all burnt up. I wish I could forget that sight. And she says, know what will help? Not talking about it. Ah, Eckert says, you know, it's not that easy. It's like you and that lobster guy. Three stories in the Tribune in less than a year. All the photos. You don't call that obsessed. Or maybe you just have an in. And she's just like, hmm. She looks down at her pie. I'm going to say, I I really like this last panel. Just like that look on her face. She's just like, oh, yeah, I see what's going on. Right, yeah. He does a good way, yeah. And then, you know, because, you know, she starts to be like, look, you didn't have to do all this stuff. And then she starts picking up her coat and just Well, she mentions that she knows they went and bothered McTell, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. She knows that they went and bothered him. And she's like, why didn't you just ask me? She's like, I could have told you all that stuff about McTell. Remember when we broke up? You said I was using you for my career. Pretty funny now, huh? And she just puts on her coat and walks out. Yeah. I mean, I just like the whole beat of this. Like, she's like, hmm. So you don't really want to see me. You just want to get information out of me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice scene. I like his expression, too. Like, there's one panel after she says, like, oh, I know that you were at Anderson and Son. And then there's just this one panel where he's like, oh, shit, I'm caught, right? (laughs) Yeah. So we cut over to the lobster running again. And this time he's the courier, right? He's got the courier bag and he's just running for it. Yeah, so he basically teamed up with those guys. Right, exactly. When he realized that their cause was... Common cause. yeah. Yeah. The lobster says, coming to Pike Street, no sign of her yet. I think we'll have a smooth delivery, Harry. And Harry's like, great news, boss. But in between those two panels is one of those creepy no-mass faces, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, there's a loud crack, and we see the lobster's been shot. We reveal all these no-mass monkeys shooting their guns at him, and they're, like, getting him all over, too, right? And he's, like, holding up his arm. We can see that they've shot through his coat and all that, and he just starts firing back at them. This is a great okay. page, yeah. How many how many pages between these two issues would you want to own? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I know. I was like saying, I would like to own this page. <laughs> it's really great. Yeah, like in your average comic, maybe one or two pages. Yeah. Or, you know, if it's like a Manola comic, you want the whole thing probably, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, this guy is just, this is why he's my favorite, because he just keeps delivering. Yeah. I mean, that, that bottom panel is just so fucking yeah. badass. Yeah. <laughs> And we see the lobster actually shoots one of the monkeys, right? He's actually able to get a shot on one of them, shooting it off the roof. I want to think that they're not actually monkeys. They're like, it's some kind of a weird yeah. magic, right? It's like yeah. an evil magic oh, kind demons. of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. yeah. I don't think they're actual monkey monkeys. Right, right, right. Just to put that, because we. Yeah. Because you just. <laughs> we're talking about Lobster Johnson shooting monkeys. Right. <laughs> I don't think that's actually happening. They were shooting him. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> but they're definitely, back. it's definitely some sort of a, like a monkey monster, like yeah, a demon they're demons, monkey. Yeah. yeah. I guess if you take that out of context, it just sounds weird. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I like this. We also reveal that he's got like body armor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like everywhere now. <clears throat> That's why he had that confidence in that one bottom panel where he's just walking right at him. Well, just when he thinks he's clear, more monkeys tackle him. And push him off this rooftop. We see him fall to the ground below. 
and the monkeys i love this panel where they're going through the bag now right they're pulling all the yeah. things out and we see that it's just like pillows right or it's just yeah. full of like fluff or whatever there's no money in there haha uh-huh, you got faked out you we, little demon monkeys yeah <laughs> and while he's on the ground the crimson lotus approaches clever I thought your mission was only a decoy, but I could not chance it, could I? How much trouble will you be tonight? And she, like, throws these darts at him. There, it has that sound effect, too. That's why I thought it was, like, maybe darts or something earlier, because it was, like, had had that onomatopoeia. And the lobster is able to dodge the darts. I think one of them goes into his arm right here, but now we know he's got that body armor. As much trouble as it takes, he says, and he throws one of his grenades but she just, like, absorbs it, right, into her robe or something. Yeah. And yeah. he's totally shocked on this bottom panel. Again, this is one of the few times that we ever see, like, emotion out of him. What is wrong, claw man, she says. Don't you know who I am? Haven't you heard what I can do? And then she, like, stretches out her arms, opens up her robe, and it, there's just, like, this loud boom. This huge crack of lightning comes down on the lobster. That's a great panel, too. And the colors by Dave Stewart are really amazing. Then it is too late to learn, she says. And there's just like this huge kind of like whirlwind of the robe and the monkeys coming at her. And then we turn the page and it's all interrupted by this one like flash. This panel is so well done where you can kind of tell that it's a flash from a light or something. And the Crimson Lotus recoils in it. And then we see Lester there. He's got one of those old timey cameras and he's like, Great shot, sister. Prince her two bits a piece if you want them. <laughs> <laughs> that was so great. And she's like, vulgar worm. As much trouble as it takes, the lobster says. And he's got his gun right on her. And then so he just starts shooting. But she like disappears in this huge cloud of red smoke. And I love how the robe is like becoming the smoke or something like that. There's like some magical element. Yeah. And we see like the bullets passing through the smoke face of her and all this kind of stuff. It's like... Did he get her or not? You know what I mean? I like that kind of ambiguity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they had this plan the whole time where he would stall so they could get a photo of her. Exactly. Right? Oh, yeah. Because he said justice has more than one path. Right. Yes. And and he repeats that line as much trouble as it takes. Yeah. She goes, how much trouble will you be tonight? And he goes, as much trouble as it takes. And throws a grenade. And then when he's got the gun on her, he goes, as much trouble as it takes. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like. (laughs) We cut over to Eckerd and Hansen. And here they are after the fact again. They're like, why do we even have to be here? What's the point? There's no body. And they're like, well, the lobster was here last night. After we dig the slugs out of the back wall, I bet they match his ballistics file. Okay, but I thought your girlfriend was supposed to handle the lobster fella for us, Hansen says. I prefer real police work, Eckerd says. Well, now that he's stealing pillows, I guess we have to stop him because they just find they don't even find the money or anything. Right. This one policeman calls the detectives over. They're like, did you find something? And he's like, you better see it for yourself. And then they're like, holy, what the Christ is that? And we just see like the tail. We know that they found that monkey that the lobster shot off the roof earlier. We cut to the newspaper. The Herald Tribune says notorious Japanese spy caught on camera in NYC. Lobster Vigilante Battles for America. And we see that picture that Lester took of the Crimson Lotus. And Harry is with Cindy. They're both looking at the paper together. And she's like, thanks for the photos, right? So they gave the photos to her. They already have a connection to her. And she works for the paper. Sure, but we did have an ulterior motive, Harry says. And did it work, Cindy asks? Story came out yesterday. Cash delivery was made last night. No incident. 
I'd say so. For now, anyway. And she's like, yeah, it was a good story. And an extra bonus appearance of the lobster. My fourth story on him in a year. Did you know that? Oh, so you're keeping count, McTell says? Somebody is, she says. Four, it's not really that hard to remember. <laughs> right, but but when she was having that mock date with Eckert, he oh, mentioned yeah, he said how three many. Stories, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then we cut over to Eckert, and he's like, Bureau of Investigation, this is New York. He's our jurisdiction. So the feds are coming in, right? They're saying that his involvement with the spy makes him a counterintelligence case. And they're like, Captain, I put in almost a year on this. You can't do this to me. I'm not doing anything, Eckert. Call Hoover. Hash it out with him, the captain says. I've turned over all your reports and given them the release for everything we have in the evidence locker. It's out of our hands. And so we see the feds going into the locker, and we see that they have that no-mass monkey in the jar. So is that the same one that Pope had? I was about to ask this. No, it's different. Oh, okay. You already looked at it? (laughs) I compared uh, them. Is it the one Daimyo had? (laughs) Didn't Daimyo find his in the the base? Wasn't there one in the Universal Machine, too? I'm going to have to go look for that for the trivia for this episode. For oh. the post, I'll go find all the other no-mass monkeys. Cool, yeah. Yeah, I'll, that I'll was look. a great one. Yeah, Sebastian Fumar really knocked it out of the park with it. I love his version of the lobster. I mean, he just killed it. And to see him do something like, you know, a different era after all the stuff we've seen in A. Yeah. It's really cool. Oh, yeah. He he can do anything. He can When an artist can draw literally anything you know they're suited for comics oh yeah all right and for our second story today we're going to be reading lobster johnson a prayer of neferu this is a one-shot published in august 2012 written by mignola and arcudi art by wilfredo torres an american comic book artist he's also worked on aliens batman 66 moon knight and suicide squad amongst others and we get another great cover by zanich here so We open on a letter, and it's inviting this guy to the Sphinx to see Lord Belson unroll a mummy. So what did this make you think of? Ponya. Yeah. So in Garden of Souls, we opened on another invitation that was inviting us to the house of Lord Minborough in London, and that was in 1859. So this is the 1930s, so this has been going on, you know, all this time, I guess. Or I think they mentioned that that it's been a while. We pan out. And we see that distinctive smoldering brand on this dead man's forehead. And in the background, we see this shadowed figure who we assume is the lobster walking off, right? But he's got his information now. He knows um, what's going on at this place. Over at the Sphinx, they're having a private party. I did look up the Sphinx. Um, there are, There have been several clubs over the years called the Sphinx Club. And at this private party, we see these two guys talk. And one mentions their ranks are thinning, but this other guy is optimistic. That Belson was able to lay his hands on an authentic specimen, I take it as a good sign. And so Belson comes out with the sarcophagus, and he does his little introduction. He says this is their first unrolling in years. And if you zoom in on his little lapel there, we see the Heliopic Brotherhood of Sign, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. These are the same guys that were unwrapping mummies in Garden of Souls. Jackasses. <laughs> yeah, but they're talking yeah. about that they're they're talking about that their ranks are thinning. So, you know, yeah. the Heliopic Brotherhood, we know that they split off into the Osiris Club. You know, some of the people that didn't like what they were doing went off, including Call and all them. 
Um, so maybe that's why their ranks are thinning, because some of these other clubs are forming out of this one. All these secret clubs devoted to the end of the world. Right. <laughs> and so Belson, he says, but nobody came to see me, so I relinquished the honors to our hostess, Princess Neferu. Neferu, meaning beauty, is an ancient Egyptian name. Neferu I was the first queen of the ancient Egyptian dynasty. She was the wife of Pharaoh Mentuhotep, and there were many other Egyptian queens named Neferu over the years. And so Princess Neferu comes in, and she's all like in her Egyptian garb, right? She greets everybody. She says, I hope you feel the same energy as I do. What a precious gift we share tonight, she says. We peer into the ultimate piece of Anubis's embrace at this liminal hour. And so Anubis was the god of the dead, and noon and more often midnight are considered liminal hours. And we should give thanks to those who made this vision possible, she says. Start with Edgar Womack, the lobster interrupts. He's like up in the rafters, right? So they all look up at him. Someone shot him dead while seeing that mummy from the Metropolitan Museum tonight. Someone working for... Only Steinmetz. We see this one guy. We have to assume he's him, right? Because he's like all shocked or whatever. This surprised mustache man. Feel the claw. The lobster (laughs) blasts down. He's swinging down from this rope towards the gangsters. Really great shot. I love this um, this art by Torres. It's kind of it has that like animated quality, right? This uh, this middle panel here with the gangster and his face. He's just like that's just pure gangster face. Yeah. I could see why he did, like, Batman 66 and stuff like that, right? right. He's definitely got that style for it. The lobster, he shoots these gangsters, and then he also gets Steinmetz, who's trying to run away. Justice, he says. Neferu says, is that what you think? Princess Neferu, the lobster says, a.k.a. Wilma Kazan. Nightclub performer and owner, cocaine dealer, accessory to murder. You have all the facts, don't you, Neferu says. All the facts and none of the truth. And so suddenly, this big lug guy, there's a lot of big lugs in these yeah. lobster comics, yeah. right? He <laughs> yeah. comes swinging at the lobster, and he's got like this sledgehammer, but it just looks like a giant piece of concrete on the end of a <laughs> stick, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it kind of does have that look to it. And so the lobster starts shooting at him, but we see like this apron thing that he's wearing is bulletproof, because all the bullets are just like stopping there. And just some really great action here as... This big lug, we're going to learn his name is Talmos. He's like swinging this hammer at the lobster, and the lobster's like dodging it every way. He gets like one little blast that has like a flesh wound on Talmos's face. But then he runs out of bullets. No more stinging guns, eh, tiny man, Talmos says. And then he hits the lobster on the back with that giant sledgehammer. Good night, answer man, he says. <laughs> I like how they keep calling him that because she was like, oh, you have all the answers, right? Yeah. And just, I love this transition as he's like being knocked out or, yeah. or whatever. We see like him floating through this space and there's kind of like all this darkness and these eyes watching him. It's like he's falling into unconsciousness. Yeah, yeah. I like that effect. He awakes, and so this is like a classic pulp thing where the guy awakes and he's tied up above his arms, right? And there's like something weird going on around him. So he hears this clanging sound, and we reveal that someone's like forging a weapon or something. And then in the fire, he sees all these skulls. We reveal Talmos again, and he's there hammering on this blade. And he's like, blade ready. Now you die. I was thinking he did look kind of like a uh, blacksmith. The outfit he was wearing. Oh, yeah, yeah, the the apron and all that. 
Neferu enters and she explains to the lobster her evil plot. Steinman stole the money for her. She needed it. Oh, the money. Why did I put that? Steinman stole the mummy for her. <laughs> I wrote money in the note here. You Maybe you typed mummy, but it autocorrected. Oh, that might have happened, yeah. <laughs> Steinman stole the mummy for her. She needed it. It was the last of four that she's collected. Four high priests of Anubis. Nice. They fuel my forge with the fires of Athansia. Athanasia. Athanasia. Is that how you say it? I'm guessing. And so that means eternal life. It's also a kind of flower. These four priests of Anubis, their spirits, their anks, which means souls, all worked into the steel of this blade. And so that's that curved blade that we saw Talmos was hammering. Tight. She says, with it, I am not Wilma Kazan. I am Neferu, highest priest of Anubis, deathless queen of the underworld. All right. <laughs> and we get this really nice splash page here where we see Neferu and Talmos, and then there's like this all black with red eyes Anubis behind them. You're just a lunatic, the lobster says. Neferu says she needs the lobster's blood to temper the blade. Otherwise, the souls can escape. Well, I like how she's like, he, he's like, you're just a lunatic. And she's like, what? No questions? You want to know what your part in this is? She's right. Like, she's like eager to tell She's him. desperate to get <laughs> yeah. her villainous monologue exactly. out. Like she really, and he's just not playing yeah, the no. game. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, if he was standing with his gun, he would have already shot her like 15 different funny. times. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the guy who had the crow on his shoulder. In yeah. Our right. Yeah. Isn't anybody going he to ask him about away. the crow? He's like, no, I get it. <laughs> the attention-seeking behavior, just he doesn't even pay attention to any of it. Yeah. He doesn't, yeah. But there's a very subtle detail here that I didn't even notice until right now. When she's telling the lobster that she needs his blood, we see him, he's reaching into his other glove. Do you see that? Yeah, yeah nice. I didn't notice that until right now. And she tells him that she was going to use one of those heliopic cretins, but he scared them off. And so we see Talmos approach with his spear. They need the living blood pumped from his heart to temper the blade. And I like this. She's like, so be steady. So they're all like being careful. You know, I mean, he's got to stab the lobster and the blood's got to go right on the blade. So they're like, I feel like they're approaching very delicate here. And then the lobster just kicks up, right? And he just like messes up their whole thing. He knocks the blade out of their hand. But you also notice he's free of the cuffs too. Yeah. yeah. So that's how they planted that little detail earlier. I guess he was pulling a little pick out of his glove and mm -hmm. he was going to get out like that. I really love that. So he just stayed there long enough to hear her plan. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or to determine she was a lunatic. <laughs> and when he kicks the when he kicks at them, he knocks the blade out of their hand and it falls to the ground and it cracks. Because it hadn't been tempered yet. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And she's like, No. And then Talmos, he comes at the lobster with that giant hammer again, but the lobster dodges and gets out of the way. The lobster reaches down. The lobster grabs the blade and narrowly misses Talmos's hammer again. I really like the pacing here. And then the lobster stabs Talmos through the chest with that smashed blade. And he's like, you die. Because that guy told him, yeah, that's yeah. what he told him, right? You know, so the lobster doesn't say anything until after he stabs him. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it also has that IE that yeah. we've seen in a yeah. couple of the stories. As Talmos is dying, Neferis screams out, you idiot, the blade is broken, their spirits are free. And you've given them blood. And so we see Talmos, he starts to transform. And he transforms into like a mummy, right? Or he looks like a... It's like he's shriveling up into like a mummy. Oh, okay. Form. Yeah, that's what it is. 
And as he rises up, he's like growling. And we see like the skeletons. I guess these are those priests of Anubis. You fool. I don't have control anymore. They do, Neferu yells at the lobster. And from behind Neferu, these skeleton spirits grab her and pull her back into the forge. And it's like burning with green fire now, I noticed. And so they pull her into the fire. The lobster uses Talmos's spear to stab the zombie form in the mouth through the head. I like that. It's pretty rad. It's awesome. But in the background, we see that it's still alive, right? It just pulls it out or something. It like breaks it off. Yeah. And Nofaro is still burning in the forge. The lobster goes up the stairs and he breaks through the door and locates his utility belt. And so we see him come back towards that that shriveled up mummy guy. He gets his grenade and then he throws it down there. And then there's this great boom panel at the bottom. I really love I, all I, those lines, like everything's shaking. Yeah, yeah there's a really lot good. of motion there. My, my favorite panel here is um, where he pulls the pin. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I love that stuff. That's a great little oh, click right, on the yeah. little thumb, yeah. I like the shriveled mummy guy. He's still got the spear in his mouth. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and the sword in his chest. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's a great detail. So that last boom panel, that's it. And then we cut to the aftermath. We see all the dead heliopic guys. They've got the lobster claws burned into their forehead. And as we pan down, we see the invitations. And we see one of the lobster cards. The end. Yeah, that was a great little story. I really enjoyed that. It almost reminded me of like an episode of Batman the Animated Series right, or something. Yeah. 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 The letter column has a letter from Drew Campbell. Oh, hey. wow. Book club member. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, OG book club member. Like like you, right. Drew Campbell is in there. And I think Brian Levy is in some of those old letter columns too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys and Mark Tweedo. And like Case, y'all were like y'all were like the original book club. You're like the book club before the book club. <laughs> the Heliopic book club. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so um, with the sketchbook, there's some notes by Scott Alley. We're looking at the Satan Smells a Rat trade paperback that collects all the stories that we read on this episode as well as last week's episode. Alley writes after the Burning Hand. Zonius's artwork had come to define Lobster Johnson in our minds. So we decided to do a series of stories with other artists. We asked Tanchi to do the covers. These were his ideas for Ascent of Lotus number two. And we see all the different designs for that. And then on the next page, there's just so many. And I love looking at these because you can see which ones they kind of took. Like this one over here. This, the fourth one is from Kaput Mortem. And then this one in the middle. The second one is from uh, one of the stories that we just read. But a lot of these are unused. Right. And they're really cool. Yeah. They're really awesome designs. Like, I like this one where the lobster's being punched, like, right in the head. And we see, like, the goggles are shattering. I don't like that at all. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's just a cool dynamic image. No, and then yeah. I like this one. My favorite one is probably the bottom corner right here with this one, like, Oh, yeah, it's good. This one little sliver of light is, like, going across his face and body. That's really nice. I like how under the one that's used for Kaput Mortem, it, the little note that he makes is stupid pose, but gets the idea across. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? That fucking it cover is great. Cover, yeah. It was the best one, yeah. This is where Ali writes, the cover concepts he provided for the first story, The Prayer of Neferu, were so good, we pitched sketches for the next two stories from this group. 
So he only ever did two batches of sketches for four issues. So they actually pitched the stories based on those cover images, which I think is even that makes it even better, right? Like the the writing is influencing yeah. the art and the art is influencing the writing and it kind of becomes this whole encompassing thing. We also see Kevin Nolan's roughs for the cover of Satan Smells a Rat. When we work with Kevin Nolan, we like to have him do everything short of writing the book. So he was the only artist besides Tanshi to do a cover. When the lobster was looking down, he seemed surprised in a comical way. So that was the one change we asked for. So in that Satan Smells a Rat, he's staring like straight ahead at the viewer. But in the original one, we yeah. see him staring down. It does look kind of comical. Yeah, and and we get awesome pencils of that cover too. Yeah, this pencil page is fucking. It even beautiful. looks like more amazing, like that. Yeah, and so here we see um, Kevin is so thorough. Allie writes he letters his own thumbnails, and so we see the thumbnails also. And they yeah, they're fully lettered and everything. They also have Joe Querio's sketches. He made his Mignolaverse debut in Dark Horse Presents with a rare Lobster Johnson story written by Mike. The two worked out the design of the idol by trading sketches back and forth via oh, email. Neat. That's neat. And so we kind of see that, too, of that uh, Cthulhu creature statue that we saw. It's like when a, a band will write a whole album, but they all live in different right, yeah. areas of the country, yeah. and they'll just trade tracks back and forth until it's done. I want to say the whole Mignolaverse is kind of like that, That's too, neat. because I... You know, Gabriel Bond, Fabio Moon, aren't they like in Brazil or mm, something? Yeah. And the Fumaras, I forget where they are. Are they Brazil, Brazilian also? No, I don't think so. Uh, I always want to say Argentina. Oh, that's what it is, right. And then Zanich is, he's really far away. I think in the last one he was talking about... Um, one of the few examples of when the internet is good and not bad. No, because he talked about how he never gets to go to Cannes. He's in Croatia, Tanchi Zanjic. Yeah, and then, uh, well, and then Fergredo's in, in London. Yeah, yeah, and so is Lawrence Campbell. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's really awesome. I love this Mignola sketch of that little creature on the little statue. And then um, we get this great Joe Querio holiday card. It says, Happy Goddamn Holidays, and it's got that creature from Dark Horse Presents, uh, from that story, um, <laughs> Tony Masso's Finest Hour, and then it has the lobster, and he's like dunking his a cookie, and yeah, his moat glass has the lobster claw on it. It's kind of like, um, is that old Looney Tunes cartoon where the they were like, the fox was chasing the sheep or something like that, and the dog was trying to stop him, and then the whistle blows, and they both take a coffee break. Oh, yeah. And they just sit around, <laughs> right. and then the whistle blows again, and then they're back at it. This is like the behind-the-scenes, kind of like yeah. when we saw the Jaguar Daimyo with his arm around Daryl the Wendigo and that little James Heron, uh, kind of the same deal. Oh, right. And then we get Wilfredo Torres doing his headshot samples of the lobster, and there's this one where the lobster's smiling, and it looks so weird. Because you never see him, like, I was re I was realizing we never see him smile. Because this one shot of him Shit. smiling looks bizarre. It doesn't even look like the lobster. And you're like, oh, because he never smiles. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that weird? You can see his teeth and everything. It's kind of cute. It is. But I just thought it looked so odd. Isn't the bottom one also the um, the lobster design for the, uh, like, the comic strip Pulp Phantom? Right. The one that yeah. Guy Davis did. Yeah. And then just more of the layouts and the sketch designs from Wilfredo Torres. We also get some awesome images from Sebastian Fumara. Ali writes, Fumara was scheduled to make his Mignolaverse debut with Ascent of Lotus until we recruited him for the Abe Sapiens series, which launched a few months earlier. And these headshots by 
Fumara are so awesome. And in some of them, yeah, you can see his eyes and his eyebrows in there. Yeah, these these headshots are just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I really love that look of the lobster. He makes him, he really gives the whole, like, the cowl and the leather collar, like, a really good feel. And then um, I thought this was really cool, too. Um, Allie writes, when sometimes Mignola starts a cover, self-rejects it, and then draws another. In this case, he finished two covers before deciding which one he liked better. So we actually get the pencils for an alternate cover for Satan Smells a Rat. Cool. And this one is really cool, and it's just the black and whites from Mignola. I'll have to post that one for our weekly posts. And then, like Matt uh, mentioned on the last episode, we also have in the sketchbook that Year of Monsters cover with the lobster and Frankenstein. All right. Awesome. It's great to enjoy these lobster stories. I hope that you guys have been enjoying it, too. And we'll be back with some more tales of justice and the burning hand next week. Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right. See, tell us your thoughts on these uh, Lobster Johnson stories. See, (laughs) you can send us a hey, you damn guys at Hellboy Book Club at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. Also find the Discord link and the reading loader on our Facebook About section. And as always, a special thank you to Paul from Gotterharn for the amazing theme. Mark Tweedell for all the work he's done to helping John with the reading order, and John for all the magic he works on all of this. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Next week, we're sticking with the lobster, see? <laughs> we're reading Lobster Johnson, Get the Lobster. Yeah. So, you know what to do. Pull out the back issues, pull out your trades, pull out your digitals, pull out your omnibus, and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Daniel. I'm Matt Trackbine. And while we're lovely saying justice will not wait. Yeah.